Voyager. Season 4 we have encountered the Borg, Elizabeth, Lindsay, and Will. Continue the theological discourse through the Elder Quadrant. Resistance is futile. Irrelevant. Your appeal to my humanity is pointless. I can't be sure, but I think there's more going on here than just a simple hello. Well, I think it's time we get back to our bridge. No argument there. Voyagern, Season 4. Welcome to Season 4 of Voyagern, Voyager, A Theological Journey, where today we're still in the Delta Quadrant, surprise, surprise, but we're looking at vis-a-vis. Yes, vis-a-vis, face-to-face. Uh, bored with his daily routine, Tom Paris finds a refreshing friendship with a visiting alien willing to share a new method of propulsion with Voyager. Unwittingly, Tom finds trouble when his new friend swaps bodies and delivers him into the authorities ready to charge Tom with alien, the alien's crimes. Meanwhile, the alien in Tom's body makes waves with Tom's personal and professional relationships on Voyager. Thanks to Miribor for that wonderful synopsis. Yeah, I found this an interesting episode. There was parts of it that were a lot of fun um, and I thought they did some nice punny and ironic things in it, but I was just annoyed by some of the plot holes, I have to say, in this episode. Um, Why was Tom behaving badly? I am still left with questions over that. Why did he go off the rails in the beginning and make him fair game for this shape-shifting alien? Um, and solving it all in the last few minutes, and when did Janeway get her genome stolen? There was just all these questions that just bugged me. Well, you'll be surprised to hear, Elizabeth, that I agree with you entirely. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say, this, this to me was a bit of a lacklustre episode, and I note that IMDb agrees with me. <laughs> I, you know, I, I agree with you. I, I mean, I, I often don't care so much about the plot holes, but when it's holes in the characterization, that's what bugs me. And, yeah. and I agree with you. There was no um, sort of impetus or motivation for why Tom was acting the way he was at the start before he got uh, shapeshifted with the alien. Um, you know, I thought his um, treatment of Balana in the lunchroom was just appalling. Um, and, and you know, at the end, supposedly, he makes up by inviting Balana to look at his garage and his car. Well, I think a Tom <laughs> Paris that we've become used to would have done that from the start. You know, he would have wanted to share with Balana this exciting thing that he was doing. And, and probably the, the, um, the dynamic would have been her not being as excited as uh, he thought she would be. But, you know, yeah, it just didn't ring true for me. No, I agree. No, I disagree with you guys. Oh. Um, it was great It was great to see Nick Lacano again. I um, haven't seen him for a really long time. Um, and uh, and so we're getting to see this, this, this origin character. Um, certainly, look, it's the 90s. Um, so, you know, we've got... Um, male commitment issues what's happening here is that, that that tom like like many hegemonic men um has found himself further into the commitment of the relationship than he feels comfortable with and he's wanting to actually get himself some breathing room um and and push back a little bit to make sure that he doesn't lose himself um in the relationship so i think it's completely understandable that he might be sort of getting a bit of the jitters uh, cold feet perhaps at this point in time, as his relationship with Valana is intensifying and he's having to take, what's that word? Responsibility. Um, that came up a few times. I have responsibilities, he says, and so did Valana later on. I think on. he's glad for those responsibilities by the end of the show. Um, but um, mm. no, I, I just can't agree because there's no explanation. Tom just starts behaving like a weirdo and like Lindsay said, that scene with Valana in the dining room was just so out of character with what we've come to expect from Tom. But haven't you seen people sabotage their relationships when they start to get a bit serious? I mean, I've certainly seen that, especially, I mean, more in adolescence than in, than in you know, grown-up people like Tom Paris. But, but people do have a tendency sometimes when they get too close to actually self-sabotage their relationships to push people away. Yeah, look, I agree that that, that that could have been an interesting sort of idea to explore. I just don't think they did it. No. Like they didn't explore his internal, um, you know, 
monologue and or why he might have been feeling that way and and why he might have responded that way um so i mean you can headcanon that but it it just for me it it fell flat because we didn't get that and i don't think it was helped by the fact that then it was in an episode where the main storyline is tom acting different because actually it's not tom so i think that kind of confused if they were trying to explore why tom might have had a shift and and be working through things um so yeah i i get that but i just don't think if that was the case they did it well no i agree lindsay because i found myself wondering if the alien had actually arrived in tom early because he was behaving Mm. pre-genome thieving um in the same way as the genome thief started behaving and i thought what was what are they doing just setting up that the thief has to have some plausibility because the only way he was going to get plausibility i guessed was having tom behave in the way he did initially as tom otherwise it would have been such an extreme shift in behavior he would have been suspected fairly early on so i assumed it was just some lazy plot thing that's why we had to manufacture that whole conversation with chakotay (laughs) yes you know um, you know, you, you've done so well. And plus, we needed to have that little Easter egg planted earlier so that later on he could say, it's me, Tom, you told me that you believed in me and now that I'm uh, different, you know, like, so, so that, I mean, they, they did try to set it up that way. But I, I mean, I, I would agree that, that they probably could have done more if they had another 45 minutes. Maybe this needed to be a two-part episode um, and they could have explored this in greater depth. Um Although I was yawning by the end. (laughs) Well, I only laughed once in this episode, which is unusual. Yeah. 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 Um, I I mean, I do want to pick up your comment about um, welcome back Nick Lacano, because I did think when the alien was um, was, uh, inside Tom, or however you describe it, um, that, that, yeah, it was very much the old Tom Paris, wasn't it? Yes. He had that kind of swagger and and um you know and uh, some of the some of the things that we like about the bad boy although you know we uh, also um i think have grown to like the way he's straightened out but yeah it was interesting to see those sort of old uh sense of what tom had been like sort of coming back through the alien yeah i guess it, it revisited um to remind us how much tom has grown i suppose and it also had, I thought, a little subplot about having responsibilities isn't always a bad thing. It mm. can actually mm. help you to be a more rounded character than if you're just doing whatever you want and skiving off whenever you want. So um, it did have that, I suppose. But, yeah, I felt a bit flat by the end and solving all the problems in the last, you know, three <laughs> nanoseconds just really annoyed me. Yep, let's put everybody back in their bodies where they're supposed to be. We won't even show a process. We'll just have everybody standing back where they're supposed to be. Um, And and I I watched as, uh, uh, well, I don't know if her name was Delen, but whoever it was that they escorted off, she didn't even seem to have cuffs on as she walked off with her hands behind her back. I'm going, why didn't she just grab someone else? You know, like this is a very dangerous organism. Yeah. Yeah, I wondered about that myself because I'm looking at her thinking, you know, well, what's stopping her doing something awful here or stopping mm. him? Jump we again. no idea about yep. this. And the noble kind of whatever his name is, I can't remember it. He was so memorable. Um, the the alien. Steph. Steph. That's right. Steph is going to take this creature and go back and find every single person who's genome. <laughs> could be hundreds of right. them. And I thought, are you serious? This could have been going on for millennia, for all you know. And the other, the other thing that I, I, I found really annoying was the characterization of Balana, because I mean, I agree that you know her response in the in the um, in the um, eatery was was good and so forth, and and actually showed her, um, you know, sort of development that she did, you know, bop him. Like I don't think I'd be accusing break your nose Torres of overact overreacting, you know, like, but, but then, you know, I, I found it incredible when um, she'd been confronted by alien Tom and, and she goes, Oh, Tom, you're hurting me. And I'm like, this is a half Klingon. This is someone who, you know, has to give a warning before nose. they get intimate, you know, yeah. that she doesn't hurt him. And, and he grabs her arms and she's going, Oh, you're hurting me. You're hurting me. So I, I dislike that as well. 
Yeah, and I wanted Seven to just punch him out. You know? <laughs> I was really disappointed that she didn't just give him a great punch in the nose and knock him out because she was, I thought she would be onto him and she kind of was, but she wasn't. Yeah, I, uh, her character was essential, but I thought that could have been done a little better too. She certainly did a lot better with the remove your arm line than Yes, Valana. she did. <laughs> and she looked far more menacing, I thought. Absolutely. I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, Dan Butler, uh, who played Steth in this one. Uh, it was good to see the old bulldog again from Fraser. He was the radio announcer who sat across the hall from uh, Kelsey Grammer in in Fraser. So he had that, that long-standing role, and he's had quite a number of roles as sort of angry parents in NCIS and House and other roles. So he's he, he's um he's, he's appeared. He's one of those faces that appears. Um, in series um, and sitcoms uh, over and over again. He's got that kind of faceless um, but but charismatic appeal. Now, I, I just coming back to the, the responsibility thing, I did think that was an interesting sort of uh, plot line and, and it would have been nice if they did more of that because I, I, I do think that's an interesting sort of um, tension there between responsibility and the ability to adventure or do new things or whatever. And I, I guess personally it really pulls at me because I remember a time when I was young, I, I loved the Winnie the Pooh books and poetry and whatever, um, and and I found the ending of of those books really really disturbing and upsetting because you might remember that what happens is that that uh, Pooh says to Christopher Robin, "You're going off to school. You're growing up. You won't be able to come back and visit us in the mm-hmm. you know um, hundred acre wood anymore." And and I hated that, like the idea that just because. He grows up. Christopher Robin gets exiled from the Hundred Acre Woods. I found deeply, deeply disturbing, and and I hated that. You know, so I, I guess there's a bit of the Tom Paris in me that I I don't want to just be all responsibility. I don't want to lose the the magic and the playfulness and the ability to have adventures uh, in the Hundred Acre Wood. But you can do that without actually turning him into a really lackadaisical, quite nasty character because I felt that's what he became. It wasn't just, Mm. you know, let's hive off for the day. It's I'm going to break your face and I don't like you anymore if you don't do what I want. Um, So I I thought that the playful nature of some of Tom's transgressions, shall we say, um, in the past had been completely lost. He'd just Mm. become nasty. Um, that exchange with Balana was not what I would expect, even from the old Tom, to be quite honest. The problem is, though, with virtual spaces, virtual realities, whether it's books where we actually dream and disappear into them, or movies or TV shows or computer games or tabletop games, or in this case, the holotech, is so often seen as wasted time. Yeah. Like, And the doctor actually says this, you've wasted, what are you wasting your time here when you could be doing something important? Um. Uh, for Tom, being in the sick bay and being trained to be a nurse seems like a waste of time. And I, I kind yeah. of agree with him. I'm kind of going, it must be. Can't they get Ensign Kaplan to do that? Like, no, you know, they can't because Ensign Kaplan is dead. This was a <laughs> I disability goof. <laughs> <laughs> but I agree. Tom is, should not be in sick bay. He just should not. That's not his role at all. Maybe they have the Kaplan sisters like the Delaney sisters, maybe. Uh, you know, um, I mean, that's, that, maybe that's how that happened. They've got a massive crew there. Put someone else in sick bay. They need a kid. Yep, not the pilot. Why the pilot? Exactly. That doesn't make any sense at all. I'm sorry. That's just strange. So I, I, I read a few years ago um, uh, Jane McGonagall's book, which is called Reality is Broken. And in that book, she actually um, puts forward the idea, it's an ancient idea, that 10,000 hours of practice of something is what it takes to become a, a master of that, a, a maestro in that, in that area. Um, and that she postulates that World of Warcraft players will have played far more than 10,000 hours and asks the question, what have they mastered during that time of experience? And um, I think that experience, whether or not it's virtual or or real, in inverted commas, um, is still experience. And so we learn from and gain from and we, we gain mastery. Uh, I guess the question would be, um, 
what mastery do we get from the things that we invest our time in? And that's a, that's a fascinating question that comes out of this holodeck experience for Tom today, I think. Well, it clearly has a knock-on effect when his carburetor symbol mm-hmm. or whatever actually pays dividends in terms of yeah. fixing whatever is wrong with this um, warp coil thing that the alien Steph or whoever he is has on the ship. Um, so there is that connection, but I thought it was tenuous, shall we say. I'm just excited about the idea that when it comes time to terraform Mars, 10,000 hours of experience, I'm your man. I'm ready to go. Um, (laughs) I've played terraforming Mars both online and on the table so many times. So I must have learned something about the process by now. Yes, you'd think so. I I mean, I think that actually, you know, there probably are things that we master. And I mean, I'd give Tom more credit that, you know, he's actually doing a trade you know so he's not he's not just mucking around driving the camaro in in the holodeck he's actually learning how to how to fix it how to maintain it um i think that you know that's definitely going to be helpful but but i think Mm. the other point that i'd want to make is that those times when we are on the holodeck or playing a game or doing role-playing games or watching tv or whatever it might be even if we're not mastering some really helpful, constructive, practical thing, we are still having important um, uh, times to imbue our imagination with new ideas and to allow our brain to sort stuff out that's been happening over the past day or week. Um, and, And that time out, uh, is really critical, I think, for for you know um, health and wholeness, um, whether or not we're mastering some practical skill through it. I agree. If you don't have time out and you don't refresh and you don't recharge your sort of spiritual system in a way, also your physical system, then you become not much good for anything. You're you're only half firing on two cylinders instead of four, and you become tired easily and things just aren't as easy to do if we don't recharge. So you've got a, no argument from me. I think the holo program is really um, when you're in space on a ship without being able to go and have a walk on a beach or a national park or something, you need that. And, and, and we can never really measure, unless we sit down and take stock, what it is that we're learning from our experiences, regardless of what they are. I mean, we're, we're experiencing things all the time and everything we experience teaches us something. Uh, and, and it doesn't need to be 10,000 hours. I was just doing a quick calculation in my head to discover that we've probably done more than 80 hours of podcasting now with this podcast. Um, and um, and I, I think uh, we've learned a lot um, during that period of time um, about how to, how to express ourselves, how to use the tech, um, how to um, deal with uh, dropouts in the internet. So there are, there are all kinds of things that we actually are, are learning almost subconsciously all the time. Yeah, I think that's right. Even taking out the garbage, if you're observant enough, can give you something to look at and learn from. It's just your state of mind and your attitude. I guess it's not Tom being building his car in the holodeck that I found problematic. It was this sudden change of attitude. Mind you, I mean, the flip side of that is that I think that it is possible that those um, uh, extracurricular things do become uh, uh, like addictive and, and unhealthy. And and I think actually, you know, you were talking, Will, about how if you don't take, or maybe it was you, Elizabeth, about how if you don't take time out, you can get, you know, tired and listless and whatever. You can also get that from being too addicted to something you know playing a game hour after hour and and you then you know start to lack the capacity to go back and engage in real life in in helpful ways and so you just stay with playing the game or whatever it might be um so i i think there is that flip side isn't there And, and maybe we see a bit of that in tom um you know that the the sense of frustration that he feels when there are things calling him away from the garage, um, you know, is is a little unhealthy. It's not a, a healthy uh, sort of, oh, I, I, I'm enjoying this and so I'm frustrated that I have to go and do duty or whatever. It, it just has that edge to it that says maybe this is an unhealthy space that he's found himself in. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I think that's quite a good point, Lindsay. And games are designed to keep us engaged. I mean, that's part of what game designers do is that they want to keep us in that space of flow where it's not too hard that we give up or not too easy that we get bored, but just keep re-entering. And so gamification is full of um, sounds and sights and processes that are actually there to, to keep us re-engaged. Um, I, I know firsthand how, how easy it can be at sort of, you know, 11.30 at night to be playing a computer game and saying, I'll just do one more turn, one more turn of civilization, then I'll get the nukes. And then then um, suddenly it's four o'clock in the morning and you're going, oh, I've got to be up in two hours. What am I going to do now? I've got to try and get through the next day. So um, it, it the games plus escapism or the need for escapism can be a really, really dangerous combination. Yeah, I think that's right. And you see it actually played out with poker machines because people, unless they set a limit, before they start playing, once they're in the zone, because it changes your brain patterns and waves, once you're in that zone, you will just keep spending looking for that high and that hit of winning something. Um, and it's I, I'm thinking what you're describing with your game is a very similar sort of thing where you just get drawn into it and you're looking for that adrenaline hit or that feeling of satisfaction that you've got your nukes or whatever it is you're looking for and you've been able to use them and progress. And as you say, suddenly you've spent $1,000 or it's 4 a.m. Yeah, that's right. Time or money, they both uh, both get yeah, used up. exactly. And and it's 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 also, like Will said, you know, the, the um, poker machines are designed by the designers to keep people there. Yes. And, and so, you know, they're able to to change to the slightest degree the, the um, chances of payout to try and, and actually give you just enough payouts, often enough to keep you there. And and these days, using artificial intelligence, they can even uh, personalise that. So if you are someone who needs a slightly larger payout, the machine can actually give you what you need to keep you there, still losing but gaining enough that you you think, you know, you want to stay there. So it, it is yep. just insidious. It is insidious. And I would go for so far as to say it's evil because it's exploiting the weakness of certain vulnerable people in our society. And I know with poker machines, 60% of the revenue comes from a very small percentage of problem gamblers. Um, and I don't think that's acceptable. No, no, and they've also addicted our governments to them as well because um, the taxes and tariffs and licenses actually mean that if they were to suddenly end poker machines, which they could do by legislation, it would put a massive hole in our in our budgets. Um, well, the they'd just have to find a way of plugging it, wouldn't they? Because people overseas and other countries and even other states like WA seem to manage without this. Now, we've been doing a lot of grumbling about this episode, and and I've certainly done my share of grumbling, but I did want to just give a shout out to Janeway as a captain um, from uh, the scene at the start where that um, uh, ship appears and um, they're thinking that it might explode. Uh, and Tom comes up with a plan. He says, you know, if we do this sort of symmetrical warp field, blah-de-blah, um, It'll fix it. And, and um, you know, I think it's uh, Tuvok says it's dangerous. We'd have to get close and whatever. And Tom says, um, I can do it, Captain. And you, you see Janeway think and she says, go for it. And I love that about Janeway, that she trusts her crew. And and if, if Tom says, I think I can do it, Captain, she trusts him and she relies on that. And, and I thought that's a sign of a good leader, really. Yeah. Though I did wonder again about, oh, we have to save this person. It could have been the devil incarnate. It could have been some <laughs> man-eating piece of fungus. But they've got to save it was. them. <laughs> it could have been the good Samaritan. And, you know, like, well, isn't, uh, that, isn't that the whole Christian thing? <laughs> there's, a, there's another incentive, too. They'd already established that they had a coaxial oh, warp drive, yeah. whatever yes. that is. I guess that's the one you can plug into your aerial so um, and that that warp drive had the capability of folding space, which we've talked about in a previous episode. Um, so this 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 could have been also a key to getting home quicker. Um, I, I am wondering though why 
we don't ever hear about the coaxial warp drive again, considering that exactly. they must have been able to set it up effectively in one of their Federation shuttles for Janeway mm, to actually mm. use it later on. Yep. So maybe next episode they'll install the coaxial warp drive and they'll, and they'll put a polaric they'll put a polaric <laughs> modulator on it and next episode will be the last episode of Why Voyager, do I find um, that just too difficult to believe? Why do I find that totally implausible? Um, maybe it's because there's a whole other season at least to go yet. Um, but suggests they're not going to do anything of the sort. But I, like you, Will, and wondered, why aren't they using this technology to actually mm. get themselves further along than they already are? Yeah. Well, I've worked it out. I've worked it out through the techno babble. Ah. Um, so the carburetor um, simulator thingy that, that Tom had to produce was called a polaric modulator. Now, you might remember way back in season one, episode three, time and again, they went to a planet. Kess was looking out and suddenly the planet exploded and everybody was dead and then they beamed down. Now, this planet was actually being powered by polaric energy mm. which is very unstable and extraordinarily dangerous mm. so it's highly likely that between this episode and next they've discovered that the polaric modulator is actually too unsafe to use and therefore they they won't be yeah, installing right. it or trying to use the coaxial warp drive so so that that makes total sense to me given the the uh, the uh, language that they've used in this yep, episode sure they will will and that'll be articulated <laughs> so clearly for us listeners to actually digest and say yep we can see it now no, no. We had to do the work between episodes. That's what I've just done for <laughs> it, so it's good. Now, we haven't really talked much about the, the sort of the, the plot that's at the heart of this, which is this alien who is able to steal people's genetic makeup and, um, and, and therefore take over their lives. And, and I did find that that was interesting, but I, I almost wanted them to tell a different story because... Uh, as it is, the person stole not only their sort of genetic makeup, their look, but also their lives. You know, he wanted to to be Tom and be in a relationship with Valana and, and, and drive Voyager and all that sort of stuff. And I found myself thinking, I wonder what it would have been if, in fact, he needed that um, that that DNA uh, to regenerate uh, his or maybe it's hers, her form but then went on their way. So left Tom with a different body, but still on Voyager, still, you know, with Balana, with the crew and all that sort of stuff. I think that would have been almost a, a more interesting story about, you know, am I still Tom and how do I cope with the fact that suddenly I look different and I sound different and I'm a different height and all that sort of stuff. I, I think that would have been a much more interesting story than the one we got. Probably, but it would have taken longer to tell. So I'm guessing that's why they didn't go down that pathway, Lindsay. Plus, it would have required um, firing um, Robert Duncan McNeil and employing Dan Butler <laughs> for the role for the rest of the series. Well, it would have, um, and that could have been an issue. <laughs> <laughs> you could still have the Deus Ex Machina at the end, you know, to put it all back together. Uh, but, you know, just would be exploring, because I think that's actually a more interesting philosophical sort of idea is to, to what extent am I the, the, the body and the, the look that I have uh, grown with and, and um, to what extent am I the choices I make and the, the thinking that I do and the relationships that I have and, and how do those interact? Um, you know, would would Balana still love Tom if he suddenly looked entirely different, but was the same person and made the same sort of choices, or or does the uh, physical appearance play a, a really key role? I think that would have been interesting. Yeah, it would have. I, I don't know if it was uh, in the thinking of the writers for this episode, but if it was, it was actually very very forward looking. Um, because for me, one of the things that jumped out about this was the whole concept of identity theft and deep fakes. Yeah. Um, and given we're, mm -hmm. we're having so much trouble at the moment with hackers stealing people's personal information and then impersonating them online, um, and the ability of AI now to be able to reconstruct one person's face and put it over the other, I can watch, you know, um, uh, King Charles uh, singing a ditty um, from a 1960s song with his entire family, um, and, and it's not him. It's just, just been mm. deeply faked. 
um, we're at the point now where voice modulation is almost getting to the point where we might be able to get a fake call from someone um, telling us that they're their mother and they need us to send them five hundred dollars. Yes, like they do. With the, they well, can, they can. Those mothers can text. They've learnt that. They can already yes, text. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got one from my mother the other day, and I went, "No, my mum's not capable of sending this text." So, uh, "Hi, mum," but um, no, you can't send me that text. So, um, I, I I got it straight away. But but there is this almost plague of um, identity theft um, and and deep fakery at the moment that um, probably may not have even been on the radar when this this episode was made. Um, so, but it's fascinating that they've. It's, it's picked up in this episode. Well, someone might have had a bit of an imagination and thought there could be a time where you could impersonate someone through whatever means really successfully and pretend to be them. Um, so it might have been the, the germ of an idea, perhaps, Will. I mean, it, it, it absolutely is, uh, you know, like so prevalent. And uh, just uh, I think it was yesterday the ABC was uh, running a story about the website um, Have You Been Pwned? And, um, you know, I, I, I went there to see and my um, uh, email address that I use for everything has been uh, listed in 20 uh, hacks and um uh, whatever. Now I, I keep a strong password and I change it, so I'm not too worried. But it, it just was an, an obvious thing that you know there there are stuff being passed around all over the place, and um, it, it is easy to get um, you know taken in by this sort of stuff or someone to use your credentials without you knowing at all. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, I agree with the dude who said there's more legislation around how you make a sandwich than there is about how we actually police the development and the use of this stuff. And I think that's deeply disturbing. A lot of the um, incidents of this kind of fraud and scamming goes unreported because there is a sense of violation that comes from this and a sense of, of shame. Um, we feel like we've been... Like and and I I did like the way that um, um, uh, Mary McGlynn and Robert Duncan McNeil played. Well, actually, it was actually uh, Dan Butler at that stage because it wasn't Tom Paris. Um, anyway, I'm confused with all these faces. But the way that they actually um, played their own discomfort at this violation of being um, being taken in this way and used in this way to actually commit crimes and and um, and mislead people. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I think the potential is with the AI we've got to mislead people, uh, leading to things like blackmail with deep fakes or, you know, not just identity theft, but draining people of their assets in various ways. And I don't know what we've got in check really to keep that from exploding and becoming something really problematic for a lot more people. And and the the really scary thing um is you know then when you bring into that the sort of um kind of AIs that we're now seeing uh, available so um ChatGPT was uh, just telling me about uh how it could be used to um generate text that would sound very much like uh someone if you wanted to deceive them or it could be uh, hooked up to um you know AI uh, um, uh, uh, art uh, things to to create those deep fakes. So you know we've we've now got the tools that will let us do this really well, and will even tell us how we can use them to do it. And I think that's really problematic. I really do. It worries me a lot that you know someone like Trump, who's got the ethics of I don't know a, a fighter ant. Um, he would use that stuff, I believe, to discredit people in his presidential campaign and it wouldn't worry him one jot if he actually ruined their life and rubbished them forever. And there are people like that. And likewise, I mean, not in defence of Trump, but Trump's vulnerable to these as yeah. well. There, there are so many deep fakes of Trump saying and doing ridiculous things that because of his ridiculous nature, you know, are quite yeah. believable. Uh, I guess that's we're back to Tom Paris again. They had to make his behaviour questionable at the beginning that made his then uh, extra questionable behaviour more yes. believable. Like there's that sense in which um, we all fall victim to this. Um, and in the end, 
um, the 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 big loser will be the truth. Yes. No one will know what's that's, true, and anymore. that's a real worry. I mean, what you said there about Tom, I think we haven't mentioned the doctor. The doctor, who's usually quite smart about stuff, to be so taken in <laughs> by by that character saying. But, you know, I've been trying to emulate you and the doctor said, oh, of course, no wonder you're of so course. mixed up, you poor thing. Because <laughs> I'm so great. And I thought, that wasn't believable either. That's not like the doctor's usual cynicism. I know. No, no, I disagree. I think that was the doctor through and through. He, he, he's, he's so vain. He thinks he it's about vain. him. Yeah. I agree. That, 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 was, that was Zimmerman. That was our old friend Zimmerman, Dr. Zimmerman, pouring into the uh, identity matrix of the doctor there. He, he certainly was very quick and ready to believe that somebody might feel inferior standing next to yes, him. Yes, he was. Now, just just to sort of, you know, like row it back a bit. I mean, I, I, I agree that, that, that there are really big issues here and, <clears throat> and, and real threats and whatever. But I, I was... Um, I was thinking about the fact that actually, you know, those of us who've, who've studied a bit come to see that when we look at our sacred scriptures, there are all these deceptive things. Like, yes. so there are, are people who write in the name of someone else or at least give the impression that they are from the same uh, school or whatever as someone. Um, you know, we we know that, that uh, stories in the in the Old and New Testament are told in particular ways and, and are, are probably shaped in particular ways to get a, a particular message across. So, you know, the, the idea that, that um, you know, we can use these sorts of forms of, of deception or whatever um, and, and that it, it's, you know, the end of everything, you know, we're all doomed, I, I think it's taking it a bit far. I think actually we have a capacity to both work with things that aren't necessarily true and find the the truth within them um and also we we as human beings probably have um fairly well developed bs meters that um would do a lot better than the doctor at picking an imposter um as as uh, you know will has done with his poor mother who keeps texting him for help from <laughs> nigeria and he keeps turning her down no, she was at Woolies. No, oh, Woolies. She'd lost yeah. a card there. I she'd, guess. She, she'd lost her card and she'd <laughs> rung up $600 worth of groceries. I'm going, Mum, what are you buying? Uh, you know. <laughs> yes. I'm not sure um, I agree uh, with that, Lindsay. <laughs> look, for fun the other day, uh, I used ChatGPT to, uh, and I asked it this question. I said, write a letter to St. David's Uniting Church in Newtown in the style of the Apostle Paul. Um, and it was really interesting. Um, it had picked up a whole lot of information and even referenced our mission statement as, a, as an exhortation for us. So, And that's all online. It was stuff that was actually able to find and access. Um, it has to be have been online, I think, for some years yeah, for Chat yeah. GP to pick it up. But, but our website's... Our, our our website's been active, you know, since 2018. So it's picked up um, that information and it was very encouraging um, and it gave us some really interesting challenges to consider. And and certainly I I could quite easily have thought that I was reading uh, the letter to uh, the letter to Newtown, um, the, the Newtonians. <laughs> oh, that sounds good, doesn't it? Newtonians. Oh, first Newtonians. The first Newtonians. <laughs> the Newtonians. I do, I think it's I mean I get your analogy with the biblical stuff but you know writing a letter under the name of Paul isn't draining someone's bank account it's not blackening their character it's not causing them all sorts of stress and angst it's it was a common practice to do this pseudo epigraphy where you'd take the name of someone much more well known than you and actually do that and it was accepted and understood to be exactly what it was um, it's not an attempt to deceive, which I think is one of the major differences. But see, for my atheist friends, they would suggest that it's the ultimate attempt to deceive, that it's actually a trying to take from us our sense of meaning and our sense of purpose for something which just is blatantly not true or fabricated. And so when people actually have uh, a sense that that the sacred text, when deconstructed, is actually um, a, a, a ruse or something made up in order to draw people in, 
then it, it does cause them to feel like something is that it is being taken from them that they actually didn't want to well, give. Well, I think that's a really post-enlightenment view, and that's the problem we have. We have to get people's mindset to understand in the first century, that is not how people saw what was written. And in fact, the written word was trusted less than the spoken word because it was so much rarer. Um, and oral tradition was trusted far more than something that was written down initially. And you wrote things down for instruction about morals and truth and spiritual truth and religion. You didn't write it down as a farrago of facts that was going to tell you exactly what happened. We just don't understand, I think, well, this, the mindset of those who wrote these things. And it wasn't post-Enlightenment history. But I think what we do have to be accountable for is the way that Swaggart and Driscoll and, and, and others have used yeah. this I'm text. not accountable so for them, actually, Will. Well, I'm not. I think we, we sit in the same no, I don't. pot according to the people outside of our boundary. And so I often have to find myself... Not, I'd, I'm certainly never apologising or being an apologist for those people, but but wanting to actually, I also don't want to be in a position where I'm defending the faith in a such a way that I'm I'm not allowing people to 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 engage with it in a deconstructive way. Well, I think they should engage with it in a deconstructive way, but they've got to get rid of all of their post enlightenment notions as the only lens through which you can see this. And as for sitting in the same space as Creflo Dollar and Jimmy Swaggart. As a female, at least, I'm not even close to that space. And I'm rarely accused of being in that space. Yeah, I, I get it more often than you would think. Um, and I'm, I'm certainly not in that space. I'm, I'm, you know, but if you'd like to send your money to our Patreon. <laughs> I was thinking, Will, that actually we need to get onto this gamification stuff. You know, if, if, if you um, make three comments on our Facebook page, then we'll send you a, a signed, you know, <laughs> autographed uh, headshot or whatever it might be, you know. We need to get a bit of uh, that gamification happening. I, I do think that, I mean, this is far from the episode, but um, it's an interesting question, you know, how do we respond to people who claim the name of Jesus and claim the brand of Christian um, but are so far from what we think? And 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 I think I, I understand absolutely, Elizabeth, your instinctive desire to say, I'm not like that, don't put me in that camp. But it becomes a bit of the sort of no true Scotsman thing, doesn't it? You know, where where any time someone Christian does something, uh, you know, that that's disreputable, we just go, well, they're not a real Christian. You know, I mean, they're, yeah, they're not a all real men. Christian like me. Um, you it's know. not all men, is it? No, yeah. that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, Hasht- hashtag not all Christians. <laughs> you've just got to point yeah. to their jets and they're asking people for money because it's so unlike the gospel that we've actually got in our Bibles. Jesus would never do that sort of thing. He's always saying, give it away to the poor, sell it and do something good with it. He's never saying, I need a, you know, a 10-speed camel to get myself around or a large horse or anything like that that would be equivalent. It's such a distortion. Um, I don't think I ever say they're not real Christians. I just see it as an absolute distortion to make one wealthy and powerful because really that's what's driving it not some deep-seated belief in in a saviour. And, Lindsay, whilst you said it was far from the episode, I don't think it was no. that far, really, because these are people who wear my face. Like, you know, I, I want to be an imitator of Christ. They also claim to want to be be doing that as well. So in some ways, just like Steph and Delenn and the captain and, and, and Tom, we, 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 you know, we're actually struggling with this idea that somebody who who is who is wearing my face is behaving in ways that I actually um, don't want to be represented by. Yeah, it's hard. It is hard. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's particularly hard because I'm aware of how much I am a product of of privilege and of Western thinking and of individualistic thinking and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and so, you know, it's the, what my mother told me when I was young, you know, when you point at someone else, there's three fingers pointing back at you sort of thing. Mm. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm really 
concerned and 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 cautious about um you know wanting to throw people under the bus although you know when you come to some of these people creflo dollar or whoever you kind of maybe i don't want to throw them under the bus but if the bus actually accidentally swerved and hit them i probably wouldn't be too upset no let's drive the bus Lindsay. let's go Well, I think it's it is an issue with people like that. I just started reading. There's been some release of a three part video from um, that young bloke who was chucked out of Hillsong in New York, I think it was, and having a look. And I'd started reading that this morning about what he was saying about the culture of the place, and it's not even close to what I'd call the gospel. And you think absolute power really does corrupt. Absolutely, that is not a biblical saying, but. You know, once you get a taste of that heady kind of mix of fame and adulation and the enough money to do pretty much anything you want, it just seems to alter people and, and not for the good. The, the problem is this word grooming um, has has changed and it has multiple meanings. Today, this word grooming, we would say that if you were grooming somebody, then it was nefarious. You were actually trying to get them into a position where they would give you something that you were not entitled to. But but grooming used to be one of the primary tasks of, of the church in terms of getting people to be um, uh, aligning their lives with Christ, getting them to become imitators of Christ. Um, speaking of Jesus, Jesus is back um, in this episode. Uh, it was great to see this episode um, was directed by Jesus Salvatore Trevino again. So we've, this will be the, I think, the third episode we've had Jesus direct for. It's probably Jesus, I would imagine, but um, I, I like the pun and, and I'm misrepresenting his identity by actually using it in that way. So. Yes, I'm not sure the connections are too strong there, Will, so I'd probably quit while you're ahead. (laughs) I did My quote of the week from this was picking up on some of the irony on this. It's when uh, Tom, in inverted commas, the alien, is there and Valana says, so I owe your newfound um, something or other, you know, your newfound knowledge about yourself to Steph. And he says, yes. Without Steph, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> that I laughed out loud at that. I thought that was actually a clever line. So, so much. Yes, truth that's there, right. Far more truth than anyone <laughs> who was listening knew. <laughs> yeah, I um, I I almost thought about coming along without a quote of the week because, as I said, I found this whole episode a bit lackluster. But then, you know, on 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 a second sort of think through, um, I I did land on. Uh, a pre-Steth Paris quote, which is when he's having the discussion with Chakotay and he says, since when is not wanting to spend time with the doctor a capital offence? You'd have to throw the whole crew in the bridge for that one. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. That made me smile. Yeah. Uh, I did enjoy the captain's evil oh, laugh yes. when she was taken over. I thought that was particularly good. Uh, I thought that Kate Mulgrew was actually able to let some of her... Uh, Orange is the new black person. <laughs> out in that one. Yeah, I thought she actually really enjoyed that. It was very trite in many ways and so stereotyped, but I thought she had fun doing that little scene. I, I did notice something weird. I actually rewinded it to rewind it. That's, that shows my age, yes. doesn't it? I actually played it back to be able to hear it. But at 29 minutes in, they're in the garage having a conversation and Tom Paris is there um, near the Camaro. And I heard dogs barking in the background. And I thought maybe it was my dog. So I played it back and it, it wasn't. It was it was there in the track. There were dogs <laughs> barking in the background. So I don't know whether that was the Holodex Suburban soundscape <laughs> for a 1969 Happy Days Garage um, or, or, or whether or not there was a dog on set somewhere. I'm not sure. But, yeah, ch- check it out. 29 minutes in. There are dogs barking in the background of the holiday. I can't say I noticed that, but I was watching it on my phone. So, you know, it's a little bit harder to pick up really delicate nuances. Well, I'm looking forward to next week, which I I think is a better episode uh, with, you know, some some, uh, meaty, you know, ethical stuff that we'll be able to uh, talk about. Um, so. So what is next week's episode? I'm just looking. It is the Omega Directive. Oh, the Omega Directive. I have known nothing about this Omega Directive of which you speak, so really 
Well, neither neither did we until uh, Star Trek Voyager brought it to our attention. I see. It's top How does she get a top yeah, secret fleet directive when she's in the Delta Quadrant? Ah, uh, it's no, a it's long standing standing, standing orders, directive. you know. And we've That's never right, heard of them yeah. till now. No, mm. no. Well, it doesn't come up very often, so right. so yes. It'll be it'll be a lot of fun. Lots of interesting interaction. Very good seven of nine. Oh, I like seven of week, nine. So. I do like her character yep. and how she keeps a straight face when she's not computing so many things or saying it's not logical or it's not relevant or whatever it is. Um, I don't know how that actress does it, but she does it very well. Mm. Mm. Uh, I have to say, in it, uh, I think it's about three episode time. Uh, time, one of my very favourite episodes of Voyager comes up, Living Witness. So I'm I'm really looking forward to getting to that one. It's a, a Doctor centric uh, episode, but it's it's a it's a really oh, uh, yes. fun one. Yeah, so. so that's not yes, this that's next one coming fun. up. No, not the next one. It's it's uh, three in the future, I think. Like, I always like Doctor episodes because he's such an interesting character. He is. He uh, is. And that episode, Living Witness, directed by Tim Russ. Oh, so, um, wow. So, so Tuvok does a direction on that one. So that's Very pretty cool. exciting as well. Mm. Well, we'll get there in good time. Um, it's been nice to be vis-a-vis with you all today. <laughs> Except um, we're not. We're uh, more ear-to-ear, face-to-face. Ear-to-ear, side-to-side. Um, ear, yes, ear to ear. Um, but um, yeah, looking forward to our future episodes uh, coming up. Um, thanks for joining us again. Um, if you've got any comments or feedback you'd like, uh, or things you would like us to explore, um, then you can always go to our Never Odd or Even Facebook page. Um, we won't ask for any personal information, and we certainly won't steal your identity. Um, uh, but if you make three so, comments, uh, we'll send you a signed headshot. <laughs> <laughs> Side headshot. That's right. Of of a uh, a photoshopped picture of one of us as a crew member of Voyager. So, I like it. Would be good. Yep. Um, so keep your eye out for that. Um, uh, until next week. Um, this has been Voyager and a theological journey, and I've been Will Nicholas. I'm Lindsay Cullen, and I'm Elizabeth Rain. 